Welcome to Income for Baby Boomers. If you want to learn about exciting new businesses each week from other boomers who speak your language and have started a unique and profitable business from home, you have come to the right place. For those who would like to try some of these low investment opportunities, stay tuned. We'll help you get started in your own profitable adventure. Now with your host and entrepreneur, Ken Queen. I'd like to welcome John Hobbs the writer of The Secrets of Successful Inventors and the inventor of the Hydro Run. How are you doing, John? Going very well, Ken. Thanks for having me. Super. Okay. I'd like to just go right back to your beginnings, John, just so I get an idea of how an inventor, entrepreneur thinks. Were you one of these kids that were creating uh, new chemical formulas when you were 10 years old or what? Not quite new chemical formulas, but I always seem to come up with simpler, easier way to do things that everybody else was doing much more difficult and actually with more work. I always found a way to accomplish the same task with less effort. Okay. So uh, what was your first chance to make money with these ideas? How did that start? Well, I never made money in my earlier life with the ideas that I had actually, but I had a few cool ones, and then one of my recent ideas that I came out when the cell phones first came out Mm -hmm. just came to market that I didn't pursue because I didn't know anything about technology, which was the key ring that alerts you when your phone and keys get too far apart. I love that. I wrote it down. I have it in my journal back in 70, 90, hold on, yeah, 97 is when I wrote it down. It's out. It's just you can't pursue everything, and until you become successful at something, you have to really pick something, choose it, and then go after it. If you start digging too many holes, you'll never accomplish You're not going to hit water. And also, when you thought of it, the patent laws where whoever thought of it first and could prove it would get the patent. Now is whoever gets to the patent office first is the new rules, I understand. Is that correct? That's the new rules from uh, what I read. Correct. All right. So what was your first entrepreneurial pursuit? Not necessarily an invention, but your first entrepreneurial adventure. I'll get into that. I want to touch something you just said about patents, because there's a website called Uventions, and it walks you right through the patent process. 65 bucks, you can protect your idea. Now, I would suggest that somebody at least go read a few patents so they understand a little about claims, but... It's a provisional patent. It lasts one year, so it gives you a year's free time to work on it so no one can steal it from you. Perfect. I thought they were 100 bucks, or maybe they, they lowered it, or maybe they're getting a cheaper rate through you inventions or something. And that lasts for how long? 12 months? Yep, 12 months from the day you file it. All right. So, okay, let's go to your first uh, entrepreneurial adventure. Well, my first entrepreneurial adventure was selling toothpicks in middle school, cinnamon toothpicks. And then I also sold candy. And then right after middle school, I started doing aluminum can collecting and cutting yards. Super. So you were always adventurous. That's good. Yeah. So then fast forward, I went, ended up going to college to become an industrial electrician. I got in that trade. And believe it or not, I didn't really like working for people. You know, I like single bosses, you know, that you had them for a little while and then you went to another boss. So that was fun. And then, so anyway, I went to school, I mean, and became an electrician. I made really good money and walked away from the trade and started pursuing something I liked, which was plants. I became a Florida certified nurseryman professional and a master gardener. I still love plants. I actually have an orchid right now that I... Uh, is beautifully blooming in my house that I grow. And anyway, so I really got into plants. I had a business down in Naples. was doing quite well. Then I came up with my first invention to where it really took a lot to put together. In other words, you needed supply chain, you needed patents, you needed supply chain and everything else in order for it to make it work. Credit card processing, manufacturers, you know, labeling. What year was that? Uh, that was the the day I thought of the idea was 97, okay. 96, I mean. Right. Uh, 
November 30th, 96. That day, I went home and wrote it down. I was running, by the way, when that happened. I went home and wrote it down, and then the next day, I started studying patents. I studied for a few months, then I got my friend to write my patent using his words, and I kept them in frame of context of what a patent was supposed to be like because mm -hmm. I didn't have the money. So my friend was a Harvard graduate, and he had very good vocabulary and very articulate, and I just kept them under the structure of a patent. So that was, I filed my first patent, which was a provisional, and then uh, I immediately studied security laws after that for four straight months. That's all I did in all my off time. Looking back, I could have just worked doing what I was doing and made more money and just paid an attorney. Okay. So you learned a lesson there. <laughs> no, actually, I'm really glad I did that because now I actually understand the security laws. I understand all the new laws because I stay up on them. I read them all the time. I even went so far as to take an Excel document and put in all the different benefits of each different type of offering that you could do right now with the new jobs act so i have it and it's all color coded so in each section like you know how what type of investor can you have each each section depending on if it's crowdfunding 506 the the reg a uh, one or reg a two tier two it is all color coded and now with that uh, approval where he was trying to the president was trying to make it so that you could have any small investors and all that, uh, where is that gone? Is that, get, is that near being approved completely or what? Well, it was approved and it was going to go into effect in June mm -hmm. for the, uh, for that's the Reg A Tier 1 and Tier 2 part. Now, the 506C is in effect. That happened before. Yeah, that would, you have to be a charity under that. No, 506C is the only people you're allowed to advertise, like myself, but the, I can only accept accredited investors that have third-party uh, verification that they are accredited, unless I really know they're accredited. Which means they have to be uh, a net worth of a million or more. Yeah, net worth of a million or more, or if they made 200000 two years prior and expect to this year, or as a couple, 300000 and expect to this year. That's pretty restrictive for the average guy, though. Yeah, well, it keeps the small person out so they yeah. don't get these big, huge chunks of money right. like all these other people are making. Some of the returns on these investments are huge. I won't get into mine with the exception of saying the minimum return should be a times eight. And that, if we do terrible, if we do what we, we believe we're going to do, it's going to be much larger. So it, to me, it's meant to keep the average person from investing and also keep the person that comes up with the good ideas from really getting funded unless they're already connected and big, you know, with the exception of the few that make it every once in a while, you know, like the, the Bill Gates and the Steve Jobs. But there's all types of those. It's just us, us people that keep on going along, plugging along, and pushing and pushing. And even after failure, what some people would call failure, we get back up and keep pushing and we keep learning and we know what we do wrong. And because we keep uh, moving forward, although we have setbacks, we keep gaining more and more and more traction. And then eventually, like Steve Jobs says, he, he was convinced the number one trait of a successful entrepreneur is perseverance. So if you can keep persevering, and it can be the same idea. Keep in mind, some inventions are over 20 years in the making before they ever really get to market and get traction. Uh, how does that law work, though? Once a, a idea is exposed, does the clock start ticking for the 17 years or whatever length of time a patent yeah. is? It does. It's 17 or 20 years. They keep they changed it. I'm not sure which one it is right now. But then, for example, you can file another patent and claim other things. Like a lot of people will not claim everything, or they'll see other things later on. Yeah. And then you go claim those, and as long as it's still directly involved in your your patent, and it you can tie it to your old one, mm -hmm. and at the same time you get all the new claims. But uh, someone could say, okay, I'm going to take the base product that you made 17 years ago because that part of your invention is expired, and copy it, but not be able to have the add-ons. But they could copy the original, couldn't they? 
Yeah, but uh, keep in mind, a lot of times, like my original idea, and actually mine is similar to my original idea, by mm-hmm. the way, okay. what I'm doing. Uh-huh. But see, my original idea, I don't care if someone copied it or not because it would cost them so much to sell the product. I don't care how much mass production they do. All right, it might even help you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Be a good example of where not to buy it. <laughs> yeah, the fact that, that my first idea had multiple chambers. Mm-hmm. So that all that opened up was a chamber that would allow so many ounces of fluid to flow. But I don't want to get into pe- my product and getting people confused on it. But anyway, it's just just so I'm not worried about that part. And then as, as I progressed and started developing it, we came up with other ideas that have never been patented that okay. we could do with my bottles. Okay, let me ask you, what is going to happen in June that's going to help you and everyone? Okay, well, they said it was going to happen in June, and then they pulled it off the table after approving it. So it's supposed to happen this year, though, still. But what happened is they uh, temporarily approved, then pulled it, pulled it back off the table, probably because of state pressure, the Reg A Tier 1 and Reg A Tier 2. What the difference is the Reg A Tier 1, you can raise up to $20 million. You can advertise. You can sell to non-accredited investors, but you can't take more than 10% of their money of what they make in a year for the investment. For to do that, you have to have uh, reviewed financials and then also approval by all the states, which makes it very hard. But now if you do the tier two, you have to have not reviewed, but you have to have audited financials and then you have to report to the SEC from then on, and you have over 300 investors or over 200. I can't remember the number. It's over two or over 300 investors one. And you can raise up to $50 million. But then you, you're required to report to the SEC from that point forward. All right. So, you, I mean, if you're going to go for anything, you're going to go for the Tier 1 then, it sounds like. Yeah, well, they're, they both have their benefits. And then, oh, and then the Tier 2, you didn't have to register per state. So that gave you exemption. Just like the 506C, I don't have to register in any state. I can sell in any state I want because I'm only selling to accredited investors. Now, when you say reviewed, you have to, uh, an investor like me says, okay, I'd like to invest and I made 40000 You have to see my tax return for last year to verify that I can only do 4000 Yes, you have to. You have to verify. You cannot take their word. And and how I guess the only way to verify would you'd have to see their their uh, tax return for last year, wouldn't you? Or is there you'd have to see a tax return, or you can actually even get uh, statements from banks, statements from the uh, a CPA, uh, certified statement from CPA would work. Like for example, you might have made only forty thousand at work, but you may have some IRAs that are technically growing that doesn't. Necessarily count for yeah. Your, you're not paying tax until you take it out, right? But that can count towards the amount of the 10%. Correct. So if you if someone had a bunch of gold and they bought it at 900 an ounce and it went up to 1800 an ounce, though they haven't cashed it in yet, they could conceivably, if they had a lot of it, say I made a million dollars last year. They could because it's actually increasing value of their money. So now it would be 10% of the million rather than 10% of his 40,000. Okay, but then again, you'd have to, uh, he'd have to prove he had the gold or whatever, wouldn't he? Yeah, and keep in mind, that's my understanding. I'm not an attorney. I'm just very well read on the subject, I, and I stay up on it. All right, super. Well, that makes me laugh because I was talking to a, uh, someone I interviewed, and he said he applied for this job here, I think it was even in Florida, to act as a psychiatrist, and they were firing the previous guy that was uh, playing the psychiatrist, he was a real psychiatrist, but no one thought he was believable. <laughs> the actor was more believable than, than the psychiatrist. Okay, so just going back to this here for a minute. Um, so this tier one, I guess, is somewhat helpful because all you got to do is get someone to give you, get them to give you proof of, the, of what they made for the year and they can invest uh, 10% of their gross income or... Yeah, that's what it said. Well, I didn't, I'm not 100% clear, but it said 10% of the income, so gr- gross income is income. 
Yeah, but I mean, if you had a business that made a million a year and 900,000 was cost, your gross is a million, because <laughs> you're really only making 100. We're talking individual. All right. Um, so that, that's a, that's going to be a new good feature, and if it passes this year. Yeah, because like I said, they had they announced it. I was all excited. I mm -hmm. wrote about it even, and then just last week, I think it was, or the end of the week before, they pulled it off the table temporarily and claimed that it would be by mid or late summer, but no later than the end of the year. <laughs> Let me ask you. Okay, uh, I've got a neighbor that's got an idea, okay? Uh, it's a very simple idea. It's a cooking utensil. And so he wants to go down kind of the path you you have to do a temporary patent, a provisional patent, do the $65 thing, which is fantastic. You can't beat uh, that for protection. He's got this idea. At what point does he do the $65? Or uh, at what point does he decide this is worth pursuing? Okay, he's got the idea. Uh, how does he decide whether he should go forward and spend any money on the idea. <laughs> well, I'm a firm believer if one person likes it, no one's ever so unique that they're the only one. The question is, can you get it out and get the product exposure? Because the biggest part of most companies should be their, what I will call, refer to as Division 6, which is your PR part of your company, you know, to really get the word out. I mean, to, to make you known and to get the testimonials on your side. Now, to be more concise on answering the question, what I would do before I tried to get, say, a, a kitchen utensil, utensil to market, first I would protect it. I would write down every feature and every benefit of that feature. Okay, so do the $65 deal? Okay. Yeah, but, but before you do the $65, you want to do a, a spreadsheet and write down every feature of your project and every benefit of that feature. So it's going to help you later on, and it'll also help your patent attorney later on. Okay. And it's real simple, just your features of the product, the benefits of the product. Okay. So it'll help your patent attorney on the claims later on. But So when you're writing your patent, too, or protecting yourself, you can make sure that you don't miss anything. So if you overstate it, it doesn't hurt you. If you understate it, it will. Yeah, it can bite you on the rear. All right. Okay. So just you just don't worry about whether... One of your features is similar to something that's already approved. You put it in there anyway, and uh, you can get rid of it later. But you can't over uh, overstate what what your product can do. Correct. So put in as much as you can and make the widest coverage as possible, and uh, that's the way to go about it. All right. So he pays the sixty-five dollars. He writes all those out. Now, what's his next step? Actually, I should, took you one step further. What I would do, and in my book I suggest, is you do a business plan first. Although you can do the patent first because it's only $65 and then you feel protected. Okay. And then you can talk to people while you're gathering information for your business plan. But your business plan, in your business plan, there's a few things you need to cover. First of all, how big's the market? Uh, who's going to use it on the market? For example, not everyone grills. So if his idea was for something that grills, it's not going to be that good. You know, I mean, mean it's not going to be everyone. Right. You see what I'm saying? I got you. But if it's someone that uses a microwave, now there's a lot more people that use a microwave. But then again, not everyone like me. I don't use a microwave. I just want to say at times I want to interrupt you because I I forget maybe after the question uh, of what I was going to ask because you made a statement there and I wanted you to expand on it. But I'm not sure what it was now, but. As we go, please uh, bear with me if I'm interrupting because I need some expansion on some ideas as we go. That's all. So how how big is the market? That's good. Yeah, because you need to know how big the market is, and then you have to work numbers. Okay, how much is the product going to cost you? And even if you're going to try to license, why? Because the more information and knowledge you have, mm -hmm. the more likely you'll be able to license it. You know, if you go to someone like, for example, there's product developers here in Tampa. There's a, a couple of them. There's one in St. Pete, you know, and there's uh, one right over, right before you get into to the interstate off of, uh, what, 
Oh, I can't even think of the name of the road now. But anyway, but there's just a few of there's a few of them around, and that can just look at the product and tell you about how much it's going to cost to manufacture. Okay, here was the question I was going to ask you. Now, when we start showing people, do we still need a non-disclosure agreement, or we're not going to worry about that because we already have the provisional patent in there? Oh well, it depends on how you look at it. Some would say you have the money to fight it. It doesn't matter. If you already have a provisional patent, they don't know what's in it. Right. No, I, I realize, yeah, that's going to help you. But uh, do you think as a second layer of protection, or is it a waste of time to have everyone sign a non-disclosure agreement before you open your mouth about your product? Type of thing? Most people would sign it. I know I would sign it if, you know, under one condition. You know, I'm especially like someone wanted me to sign get this. They had a, a fitness line. They wanted me to take it, but they didn't want to do anything until I signed a non-disclosure. Now, Keep in mind, I don't, I have a full fitness line coming down the the line. Right, you have some other inventions on the on the burner there. I got you. Yeah. So there's no way I would without knowing a lot more. And one of, by the way, was something to do with the drinking container. So there's no way I would sign a non-disclosure going into that. So of course I'm not his target market, but there's other people that would. I couldn't help them because of the simple fact that I. You know, it may be something I already have and I didn't actually write down or it's not clear enough. You step on your own toes there. Yeah, so, so it all depends. But, yeah, I would I would recommend it. And if you do, the worst case scenario is, you know, if someone says no, they probably wanted to steal your idea anyway. Although I wouldn't worry about it. All right. Now, the product developer, are you, are you going to get him to sign a non-disclosure? Yeah, you can. I mean, you can, you can definitely do all that. Like if to me, I'm patented already, and I also as soon as my funding comes the rest of the way through, which I had great, a lot of good news in the last day. <laughs> so it may be happening as quickly as next week or so. So I'm not worried about it because as soon as I have money, I'm filing another patent. People have no clue all of what my product is about. Most people can only see what they see and add very little to it. So, you know, so I'm I'm just excited and going to going to be doing that, but I wouldn't personally worry about it if I was completely packed. Now, let's go to the product developer for a minute. Exactly what is his part? I mean, is he actually maybe going to help you make improvements on this thing or tell you what better materials to make it out of or how does where does the product developer what is his use here? That's a really good question. He all the above the product developers, first of all, they can help you with materials. They can help give you rough cost. They can give you rough cost. And this is just by looking at it. Mm -hmm. They can give you rough cost on what it'll cost to produce. They can also, you know, like you said, material and, and make a few suggestions. Now, he's not a co-inventor with you at that point, is he? <laughs> no, because you already have your provisional file. I know some... Developers will try, but what you do, and I, I actually had a roommate that lost the case, by the way, that he was working for someone and developed a lot of stuff, but he was a an employee for hire, and he was doing what they were supposed to do for this firm. So he tried to sue the firm and lost. Why? Because the firm hired him as a 1099 contractor to do work for them. So it was their idea that he was just helping develop, but it was their idea. I got you. Now, but isn't, I mean, is it maybe this patent, patent law has changed so quick, but I thought on patent law, if there's 25 people that uh, were part of the patent, you have to put every name on there, or is that not so anymore? No, this was even before that. He lost his case way before this. This happened in uh, 79, no, not 79, 80, 99, yeah. 99 was the year this happened right. that he, he lost. Well, I, I wasn't forgetting, I wasn't thinking of his case in particular, but I'm just saying as a general rule, I thought patents, if there were 20 scientists that collaborated, that everyone, if they put a, if they were part of that invention, have to be named on the patent, not as an owner, but as an inventor. Yeah, if they were all in collaboration like that, that's different than me going to somebody and hiring them. All right. So there's a, the apples and oranges. Okay. 
Now, what's the product developer charge for this service? Oh, it depends on what you have. And then if they're really excited about it, they could hop on board. So they may say, we'll just throw our service in for 10% ownership or something like that. Yeah, they could. And then, but then you have some that want, I won't name the company, but the guy's really awesome, the CEO of the company. And they had the, the very beginning days of Under Armour. Under Armour, yeah. their idea. And they, keep in mind, this manufacturer has full capabilities of doing everything they needed. Okay? Now, the product developer is not the manufacturer, though. No, but see, they, but they are, they, a lot of them have manufacturing plants in place. Like this oh, okay. product developer, right. there's three local I know of. Okay, I'm going to name one. The one I'm not talking about now, you just to talk to them, you have to have 1200 bucks. That's just a talk. <laughs> so you have to be serious to go to them. Right, they have 17 manufacturing plants in China, and they can produce, they produce hundreds of million at wholesale pricing of dollars worth of product that's on the market on a global scale. So, and these are people are local here to Clearwater. So anyway, so they turned it down. And look, if they would have took a part of that, they would have been, you know, it would have been a way better deal for them because that person was actually, you know, saying, hey, do this. And, you know, for X amount of company, they turned it down. But now my first patent attorney was Merle Johnson. He used to also every once in a while barter with somebody like that. I don't think they can anymore, but he was very old and he was from Chicago. <laughs> When I say he was very old, I shouldn't say it quite like that, but he was, when I met him, he was 89, and he was uh, very, very nice and so sharp. I could not believe how sharp he was. But he uh, was the only patent attorney that could ever say that he was undefeated, He was, and he's been practicing law all his life. Wow. And he had a bunch of cases at the Supreme Court. Actually, one of the cases you've sort of touched on, which was what it, does it take to change a patent? It takes five points of difference. How do I come? I know that Merle Johnson told me all about mm. the case that he fought in the Supreme Court. <laughs> I got you. Now, just to get back to the pricing, I know the one guy's twelve hundred is to sit down, but normally, what's the kind of average? Is there some kind of average price for a product developer? Well, it depends. They have. They still have to see your project. They need to know. They, every project's different. Like for example, my water bottles. Look at my water bottles, and mm -hmm. what people don't understand is I have $70,000 worth of engineering into those bottles. Mm -hmm. Why it's so much? Because we had to go through a lot of iterations that we rejected, and we had, didn't know until it was actually engineered out whether it was good. Yeah, I'm and they were doing exactly what I wanted. So every project's different. Like if it's something real small and simple, like, oh, i give you a good example, and I can't go into details, but I met an inventor that was trying to find somebody to do his product. Just This has just happened last week, and actually Sunday was the day, mm -hmm. and uh, we met, and he shows me the product, and I realized right off the bat that he could have the molds done for no more than 2000 and I know that for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And because of the price of my molds. Right. Okay. And mine are way more complex. And uh, once I seen it and I told him that, he had been in the design business for a long time, but out for a long, long time. So he was going on old pricing and pricing in the U.S. And when I told him the price, he said, man, I'm going to become the manufacturer. And, of course, I'm helping him with that. And I, I connected him with my friend. And they're already talking. And they're moving his project forward. And this is how quick it's happening. Okay, so I phone this product developer and I tell him I got this new thing for uh, cooking eggs. And it's a, a kitchen gadget. Uh, is he going to say, come in and we'll have a free conversation first? Or what? Yeah. Oh, they did the. I have two local that do free conversations. And then I have a third that, if you're really serious and you, you think you're going to go global quickly, I would suggest them. And okay. I'm saying if you're going to think you're going to go that big quickly. But you may go to the other guys first, and then depending on how well-received it is, you, then you might be ready for the other guy, right? Or Yeah, but you have to have a lot of money to take a product out that big. Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of marketing. 
because people need to know about your project. Okay, most new products need exposure, and even with the free exposure online, you still have a lot of exposure that's not free. And the best exposure is still by huge amount TV. Mm -hmm. Why? Because if you do something on the internet and you have a, say you have a new product, like I have a water bottle system, it's brand new, no nothing on it, nothing compared to it on mm -hmm. the market. If someone sees it online once, they're not going to click it again to watch it again. They're going to see it once, you know, and most likely not buy because if it's a really new product, it takes an average of six times, you know, give or take a time or two, depending on how quick people turn, before the people will start buying. Okay. Repetition. Mm -hmm. Yep, they need it. So the only way you get that is through TV. So which is why I teamed up with TVA Media Group. They called me and they're going to be doing my direct response commercial, airing five thousand times a month. Okay. Now, when you went to these direct TV response guys, did they want any money up front, or did they just want to look at your idea and decide if they want to be part of it? How does how does that work? Well, let's be clear. They called me and they want to partner with me. Because they like my idea, and the, the uh, CEO is a marathon runner. Oh, okay. And they've done like six billion in business. That being said, what they're doing, they're, they're giving me a half price rate, and then they're going to take five percent of gross. Okay, so if it normally, what's it normally cost to produce this commercial? But to produce and air, and mm -hmm. keep in mind these are the highest quality cameras. Mm -hmm. So the, the production alone is probably a thirty-five thousand dollar production. But to produce an air would be to do what they're doing for the fifty thousand. They would they're going to would normally be a hundred thousand. Okay. But then they do get five percent of the gross. So their normal price to do this would be a hundred. There's you still got to come up with fifty thousand cash yourself plus five percent of the gross. Yeah, which is no big deal because I actually have that figured in already. A five percent of the gross income. Not the gross. The gross of the product. Oh, gross of the product. So now that could be 20% or 30% of the profit. No, not no, not if you know your numbers. Well, I'm yeah. just thinking. For example, you know. for me, it would be $3. After all costs, figure it out, because we're selling direct to the end user. After we figure out all costs to the end, we'll still be pocketing over $12. And how much are you selling them for? Uh, twenty nine ninety five. We're going to test two prices: twenty nine ninety five and thirty four ninety five. Okay, so about thirty two dollars average. Okay, so yeah, thirty two bucks. And what's your cost to make them? Five dollars landed in the U.S. box, ready to ship. Five dollars landed. Oh, that's a nice markup. Yeah, but that's what you have to have. If you don't have it, you can never be the manufacturer, and you can never be the one that's going to control your product. Okay, so you happen to have someone phone you, but okay, my fellow with the kitchen gadget, he hasn't got anyone calling him yet, okay? So he's got this kitchen gadget, he goes to the product developer, product developer looks at it, spends half an hour with him, says, well, look, uh, I'll help you develop this. I am, how much per hour normally, 100 an hour, 200 an hour? I, you know, I've never asked the question, so I can't say. Uh, but I know initially what they have to do isn't that much and that big of a deal uh, putting something, especially if he made it crudely himself without CAD, mm -hmm. you have to get it into a CAD file somehow. And once you get it into to digital uh, CAD file, at that point, you can get real pricing and everything else. But the biggest thing about a product always is getting the word out. Just like being an author or anything else. If you don't get the word out, you're not going to do well. Right. Okay, yeah, that's something a little further down the line. I'm still at the product developer's, uh, I'm at his desk right now. So he's really an expert in CAD developing most product developers then. Well, no, they can be an expert in the whole thing. Like Carmine and Rick uh -huh. are the owners of DR Innovative. Okay. Now, they, Rick happened to be in the field a long time sourcing product. So what he does for his customers Yes, uh, he can also he can source the manufacturing, have it per delivered, produced, and then he in some cases he can even have uh, purchase orders. Like he got one of his clients recently 
I don't want to overstate it, but I'm pretty sure it was like 800 stores. Got the product into 800 stores. Nice, nice order. A little piece of that too. Yes. Yeah. Well, you don't mind. You don't mind paying it. Yeah, but you're the salesman because every salesman, like me, I have numbers worked in for salespeople and distribution channels, Mm -hmm. distributors. So, so I expect that to happen. All right. So he's gone to this product developer, and the guy says, "Yeah, I think this will really work. I'm going to charge you $500 to." do a CAD of it, and after I do the CAD, I'm going to price it out with manufacturers in China, and I'm going to let you know what they're, what it's going to cost to make this the product landed here in the U.S. in a box ready to go. Uh, so maybe it's $3 each, and you need, uh, it sounds like you're thinking of a multiple of seven or eight times if you're going to do a manufacturing. Yeah, you want to do, I hear a bare minimum five. I can't imagine doing it on five and making decent profit, you know, because you want to grow. Because the the whole key is to grow and to be able to have extra capital to start growing your product line. Because at the end of the day, you don't want to stay a single product. You want to, you know, at least I don't. I want to become a, my, my company, for example, Athletes Performance Gear, in five years from now, you're going to see Athletes Performance Gear and you're going to equate athletes performance gear with a full line of products for anything to do with fitness and sports. Uh, now, so you're saying probably seven times is where you need to be really to aim for? Yeah, unless you think you can do it lean and mean and uh, have no paycheck. and. So in other words, you'll starve to death. Okay, so you don't want to do it that way. <laughs> yeah. You want the seven times. Oh, seven that's times. fine. You know, I mean, it, you can do it markup less. Depends. You know, like, for example... Although we're raising capital, we are also, and we'll make a little paycheck. Our real paycheck, my CEO, Julia Lutzkanova, and myself, our real real paycheck will not start happening until we're selling product. Why? Because we're a performance-based company. So we only, that's where our big paychecks will come. You know, I'm raising $1.5 million, but the paycheck I'll get from raising all that it was, is it a little more comfortable than a lot of people? Yes. But is it what I want in life? No. You know, and we are keeping it low on purpose to keep us hungry. So we we go for the home run or the grand slam, actually. Okay, so here was the question I had. If you're looking for seven times your cost landed here in the U.S., you the only way I can think of is, is then you look at your product and say, okay, my product costs me three dollars to make so if i can't retail it for seven times if i can't retail it for 21 bucks then i'm not making it cheap enough yet yeah and keep in mind as your quantities go up and now you can also figure it on later on say it's not seven times at first say but you say oh well later on i'll be doing this and my cost will go down okay what would be so but the lowest then you'd want to start off with would be five times then is that yeah. what you're saying okay yeah and knowing that you can work up to the seven and then you'd be up to seven or more okay yeah. the bigger right. runs will cost you less money all right so a three dollar landed product in a box has got to sell for a minimum of 15 bucks then. and and hopefully going to 21 after you get to uh, 10,000 or 20,000 pieces at a time or whatever the well, formula is Actually, you would want to still sell it for 21, okay, but you'll be making not the five times because it's costing you more at first. All right. Okay, so that's that's where the difference would come in. Now, keep in mind, the reason you want it like this is, now what happens? Okay, my business models, for example, are the direct response, right? Then mm-hmm. we have upsell, cross-sell because of what our product is about. We can add weight, flashlight with strobe. I know we're confusing people because they don't know what my product is, but we will cover that in a little bit. But then also we have the clothing line that creates a look. So we have those upsells, cross-sells, and then we have the contingency model of the electrolyte. But the, what, where it gets good is at the end of the day, we're really manufacturers. So when I go to sell it to Dick's Sporting Goods or to the expo vendor, okay, then, and that goes to the Fitness Expo where they just buy 27 27 product at a time, mm-hmm. as opposed to dicks that'll buy 50000 at a time, mm-hmm. okay, that expo vendor is going to be paying me $17 for a pair or two, and then, but now Dick 
they'll be paying fourteen dollars. Okay. Okay. Per pair. Yeah. So I still have to be able to handle all the admin costs and everything else. So now all of a sudden, I'm only making nine dollars, and that's not cost talking all the other little costs like the fulfillment cost and stuff like that. That's why you need the seven times. Yeah, and that gets put in and your uh, processing fees and your bank fees and your uh, product development and yeah, you just have a lot going on that you have to have capital for. I, I agree with your seven times because some people have purported that uh, you know you can buy something for a dollar and sell it for $2 on Amazon, but I don't think that works. <laughs> yeah. From my experience, if it isn't at least three or four times, then you're probably not going to make it much. I mean, you can't be buying for a buck and selling for two bucks because all the factors, suddenly everyone's selling it, so you got to drop your price or something happens. You know, <laughs> There's all these uh, variables you didn't think of until it happens. You're like, wow, this uh, double your money doesn't work. <laughs> Well, let's go into your product. Let's just go right from the basics of your product. So this product you came up with for what what made you dream it up? What, what started this whole... Uh... What started the whole venture was I was running one day. I could never break seven miles. I had been running for a while. I had been running for uh, six or seven years. And I could do seven miles, but I could never do more. I would always, what they, we in the runner's world, call hit the wall. Through cramping, my legs would get too sore or something. One, and I never drank. One day during my run, I happened to have three water stops, actually a total of six because it was three one way. And then I, I liked drinking so much because it was the first time I ever done it during mm -hmm. my run. I stopped at all three places coming back. That day, I did 11 miles, and I never did not have the issues, same issues I had at seven miles. I felt better, I didn't get a sore, all of that. So the next day, uh, or it was, might have been that day, I realized hydration was real important, and I bought my first project, product to stay hydrated. So there was a product similar to what yours is out there? Uh, no, nothing like mine. mine. This was a belt type. Okay. And then I bought a few different other type of products. All belt types are backpacked, or there's some that was for the wrist. You're not going to hold much water on your wrist. But. Yeah, they're they're like they were like little six ounce things. Right. There was also uh, single water bottles I tried carry. Uh, that and every one of them without fail hindered my ability to run and walk correctly because that's one thing I believe in, and I just posted an article on it on the importance of proper form and posture when you run. Mm -hmm. When you you might well build your whole body when you're doing it. So if you start and finish, and all the way in between, use the proper form and posture. What happens for you is you build a better body. So anyway, every product on the market hindered my ability to, hindered my form and gait and mm -hmm. stride. And they were also a burden to get to and drink and had small openings. And I mean, there was just a, a lot of issues. So one day I had quit using them all because they bothered me. And I went back to doing my seven miles and with no hydration. But it was always on my mind. Then one day, my idea just popped in my head. And the idea was for a water bottle, unlike any bottle on the market, the bottle is designed to envelop the hand. It envelops the hand, and it has, so it requires virtually no effort to hold. When you get thirsty, there's a trigger. When you hit the trigger, there's a valve inside the bottle, mm -hmm. and you can drink. Now, they're sold and used in pairs. That means one in each hand at the same time. So they encourage proper form and posture while you run so you build a better body. They only weigh 19 ounces full and 4 ounces empty, so they never become burden to use. They hold 15 ounces of fluid. So you can run for hours. I can actually do 14 miles without stopping and stay completely hydrated on 30 ounces. But now here's the best part. If you're running at night and you need a little safety, they're designed to mm -hmm. add a flashlight with strobe. They're also designed to add a weight attachment. So if you're a glutton for punishment and you want more of a workout and burn more calories, you can add a weight attachment, and if it's at night, you can still stack the flashlight on strobe right on the bottom of the weight. So 
So all those all the boxers want all that weight. So the boxers, I foresee the boxing community being a, a being real big behind. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, and then uh, we have a clothing line that if you use our clothing line at the same time you're using the the bottles, you create what we call have the look. We also have one of the best electrolytes on the market. Of all the electrolytes on the market and a mineral formulas, we're in the top 5% easy, if not the top one. So we're selling those three flagship products to start, and we're using business models from the direct response. And then, like I touched earlier, we're going to do upsells and cross-sells of the, the weights, flashlight with strobe, clothing line. And then we have a contingency model, which means uh, monthly reoccurring payment for the electrolyte. But now all that we're doing for one reason. At the end of the day, we're really manufacturers. And what we really want to do is sell into Dick's, Sports Authority, all the small, small and pops, all the online retailers already, all the uh, fitness expo people and health expo people and overstock.com and places like that. that. That's at the end of the day what we're going to do. And we'll be expanding our line. By doing a survey, everybody that purchases will get a two-question survey. What other product would you have purchased if we had it to offer at this time? And the other one, what product would you like to use most during the wintertime? So we're going to ask those two questions to every single person that buys. And now we're going to take our company. What are you going to give them so to entice them? Oh, it's, they've already excited customers. It's only two questions. Oh to, oh, to entice. Oh, that's what I forgot. The electrolytes, if they purchase the electrolytes, because we're doing the cross-sell mm -hmm. and upsell, they purchase the electrolytes, we'll give them a discount off the whole order worth the, the electrolytes alone. So they basically the electrolytes will be free for the first order. But it, it's a good product. Now, that product has a eight-time markup. Uh, I was just thinking, but as far as another benefit to get them to answer because most surveys, you know, 99% of the people just don't bother. I'm just thinking if you said, okay, on your next order of electrolytes, you get 10% off. If you answer these two questions, maybe increase your, uh, you know, until you get enough people responding, uh, make it increase it from 2% to 50% or something. Yeah, and keep in mind, we'll be doing this as soon as the customer purchases. This is on autoresponder. So as soon as the purchase goes in, so they're already a happy, excited customer. So, yeah, but we will be doing A-B test. Everything we do, we'll A-B test. So um, we'll find what works. So we definitely will use incentives as opposed and then not incentives just to see where it makes sense. Because that's why the survey is very specifically designed with two questions and no more. All right. Now, I see on your advertisement you had iHydroRun. Was HydroRun gone as a trademark? Uh, well, all of that's changing because keep in mind, I'm one of those people that believe you should name something. So if you're going to have something and grow something, you should name it. So I was just talking about A-B testing, right? Well, we A-B tested HydroRun, iHydroRun, and we found out which was best between those. But then get this, we... Also did an A/B test with Athletes Performance Gear and I Hydro Run and by a landslide. Really, for the longer name. Oh yeah, but keep in mind, Under Armour is a long name, and they just increased. They just made their name longer. By the way, what is it? What they is added it? A, another word to it. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. So uh, there's a lot of myths about long names. But there's a lot of companies around that have bigger names. Like, again, Under Armour. They're the third largest fitness apparel retailer in the U.S. Uh, Nike and uh, Adidas are one and two. Like, I can see online the difference. Because if you had five different keywords in that big name, then I can see why it would do better. But for the general public, if they had a big, long name, I'm surprised that struck a chord that people liked it more. Well, I, t I can tell you why several of them did it. I even uh, did the test with my CEO and then uh, quite a few other people. They, they, the word performance was the one that was that really pulled them into the name. Uh, okay. So, uh, but at the end of the day and in five years from now, you'll know us as APG. 
So, and we don't own APG.com, but we own APG.rocks. And uh, so APG rocks. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, how will folks get a hold of you if uh, they would like to buy one of these or if they would like to invest with you? Where would they go? Well, if they'd like to learn more on about what I'm doing and possibly become an investor, that would be great if they're a credit investor. Uh, my phone number is a simple phone number. It's 239 404 2871. Again, that's 239-404-2871. And my email, my name is John Hobbs, so J-H-O-B-B-F at A-P-G dot rocks. Wow. So rocks is a, is a name now, like dot com. Yep. Uh, athletes, and we also own Athletes Performance Gear Rocks, by the way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's... Uh, that's one of those new names I've never heard. <laughs> That's good. So like a dot said so dot com dot net dot org and dot rocks. Yeah, like uh, the Rolling Stones. That's great. Right, divert right here. The Rolling Stones, I believe, or just went on a con- a tour, or or one of these old bands. It might have been Led Zeppelin, one of the old bands, and that's what they're using right now. Really? Too. Uh-huh. But, oh, good. The product you think that you have that rocks is good name for it. Yeah, that sounds great. All right, super. Do you have any? Uh, Last moments of encouragement for the inventors out there in the craft? I do. I encourage each and every person that if you have something, go for it. Why? Because at the end of the day, you're not going to regret it if you go for it and don't make it. What you will regret is if you do not try to achieve that dream of yours, and then you see it on the market a few years later. So I, I know I have those, but at the same time, I was working on other things. So I don't have the regret because I can't dig more than one hole until I prove myself, and then I'm going to dig a bunch of holes. Fantastic. This has been great. You've been very informative, and I appreciate all your ideas. And hopefully we'll talk to you in a few months, and we'll see what your new ideas are. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Have an awesome day. All right. You too. Thanks, John. Thank you for listening to Income for Baby Boomers with your host, Ken Queen. Helping boomers like you get a business started you can run from your own home. We interview owners of both online and offline businesses, but most importantly, ones that are run by baby boomers. Stay tuned next week for new and exciting businesses that you can start from your home. Until next time, have a profitable and blessed week.